I'm going to focus my message today on three major points I'm going to bring to you in a moment. And in a way, this message is a companion message to the one I preached on Good Friday. Good Friday, I preached, Why Did Jesus Have to Die? Now, I'm going to talk about the real significance of the resurrection of Jesus. And, and in many ways, what I want to say, I've already sketched out in my keynote word, which is the first word you get in the Revival Times, encouraged by hope. And there at the top of that column, I have uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. And it says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Encouraged by hope. That verse that I've just read comes at the end of a very long and significant chapter of Paul's teaching about the resurrection. And in his day, as indeed in our day today, there were some issues regarding resurrection. Don't think that just because we live in the 21st century and have 200 years or so of so-called enlightened thinking that it took the Enlightenment, the rise of science and other philosophers, suddenly to realize dead people don't rise. Some people say, you know, it's all very well for you Christians to talk about resurrection, the other miracles of the Bible, but, but you, you forget we're living in a scientific age and we know better than these people back in that day. Well, the truth is, you don't need the European Enlightenment for plain observation to tell you that dead people do not rise. Unless, of course, it is a miracle of God. And when a group of people became convinced that that's exactly what happened to Jesus, they did it mainly through eyewitness uh, experience. And if you read the whole of the chapter of 1 Corinthians 15, he records here one of the most amazing appearances of Jesus, not just to a handful of people. R.T. Kendall was speaking about appearing before Mary Magdalene and, and a few people around the tomb. Significant eyewitnesses that actually, whose record actually found it into the gospel account. But there were other occasions including one time when Jesus appeared, not as a ghost, but in his resurrection body, to over 500 people. 500 people do not have the same hallucination. This was not a hallucination. And Paul says many of these people, at his time of writing, many of these people are still alive. Go and ask them for yourselves. These were based on eyewitness testimonies. However, philosophy dies hard. People's religious background, sometimes very difficult to overcome. In Islam, we're told that Jesus was never crucified. A man who's coming to lecture us after R.T. has finished his two terms, a series of uh, School of Theology, we're having a summer school, and Dr. Gary Habermas, who is an, a professor of apologetics from the United States of America and an expert in the evidence for the resurrection, was invited or invited or challenged Muslims to a debate on the resurrection of Jesus. He showed up at the debate. There was only one Muslim there, an imam who was supposed to debate him. They would not let any Muslims hear the debate. Dr. Gary Habermas presented his factual evidence, 
circumstantial evidence and good sound reasoning and all the reasons why he is able to believe in the resurrection. And at the end of all that presentation, the imam said this, I have no arguments to counter your arguments. But I say this, the Quran states that Jesus didn't even die, so how could he be raised from the dead? And one of the facts of, of history, most attested, apart from the resurrection, is the crucifixion of Jesus. So a book that lies about the death of Jesus isn't going to recognize that Jesus Christ is alive today. So the point that I'm saying is that it's sometimes very difficult to overcome our religious background and our preconceived ideas, whether they're the ideas of rational thinking or the ideas of false religious teaching. It's difficult, but the power of God can do it. And Paul is addressing a very important question, which has to do with Greek philosophy. Now, don't worry about too much about the philosophy, but the idea that dead people don't rise is behind this philosophy. And there's a lot of people today who would have sympathy with this and not know actually where it comes from. Here's the, here's the idea. You see, the Greeks believed that only the soul was immortal. They believed that life after death was the freedom of the soul from the body. And this old, perishable old body was nothing more than a prison from which you escape at death. And Paul says, don't worry, you're going to be raised again from the dead. They said, we don't want to be raised from the dead. This is nonsense because the body is inherently sinful, evil, and it's a lower part of existence. That's not Bible teaching. If it was Bible teaching, Jesus would never have come in the first place. The Word would never be made flesh. He would never have dwelt amongst us, tabernacled in a human body, not just residing in a tent as if it was just a kind of place to live. He actually became human. He became a man in every respect apart from sin. In fact, Jesus was so fully human that it was as though he was never divine. But remember, he is also so fully divine as if he was not human. But in the incarnation, God, man, becomes here on this earth an incarnation. Easter tells us that when Jesus went back to the Father, he didn't go just as a soul or a spiritual being. He went back and was glorified and ascended in a physical body and has sat down on the right hand of God in a physical body. And that's so important. Of course, his body was not like it was while he was on the earth. His body in the resurrection was a glorious body. Flesh and bones, not flesh and blood kind of existence like we have. But this, this, this body was the first example of a phenomenon that is going to spread throughout the whole of the cosmos. Resurrection is going to affect everybody and everything. We just need to make sure we're on the right side of it. So here we have the background. And Paul actually goes to say Jesus was really raised from the dead. And it's important that you know this because your salvation depends on it. Your salvation isn't just something to do with your soul. It's the restoration of all things, the recreation of all things. And we sometimes, even today, forget this. We put so much emphasis on the soul and we forget that life is complete, body, soul, and spirit. And one of the reasons why we believe it's so important 
to penetrate our society with living physical examples of what it means to live under the kingdom of God is because we believe this world still matters to God. When Jesus died, his physical body perished. Of course, he didn't die on the inside. His physical body perished. Third day, he was raised again, and he is a new example of the new creation reality which we're going to be part of. Three short principles taken from three verses. The last one I'll come to, which I've just read. We're going now to 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 19. Paul says this, If in this life only we have hope, we are of all men the most pitiable. Can you hear what he's saying? He's saying if, if this is all that there is, if this life is all that we have in terms of what we gain physically, if this is all that there is, then you should feel sorry for us. Why? Basically, his point is this. There is more to life than meets the eye. All of our world, our current generation, and we're still tempted even as believers to think this way, is the world that we can see and touch, what we see around us seems so real. It's so amazing. We know we might not be here forever, you know, 70 years or whatever. Some people creep up well over 80, but you know, we know that sooner or later we're going to go. And so we grab what we can in this world because we think this world is all that there really is to live for. So even as believers, we begin to live for the comforts, the pleasures, and the gratification that comes from this world. Now, there are many things that do bring pleasure, and I believe a lot of that's from God. But when we start treating the whole concept of fulfillment and being rewarded, when we think of that only in terms of this world, we are narrowing our focus down and putting our trust in something that is going to disappear. This world is passing away. So when you say that life is all that we can see and touch, you're basically saying that we Christians are going to miss out. You, 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 you think that that's the case. I mean, I know there are certain types of Bible teaching. Bible teachers say this. I'm not so sure it's, it's founded on the Bible, but many Bible teachers say, okay, you can have everything. Just like before, you can have everything you want. It's all yours. Just take it. It's all yours. Uh, and you can enjoy everything that is around you. There's no suffering, really. Avoid it if you possibly can. Uh, don't talk too much about it if you go through it. But at the end of the day, we have all of this and heaven too. I don't think it's right. Just take a look at Paul's example. Paul said, just follow me around. Have a look at what I have to suffer because I own the name of Jesus and I want to live consistently for the future kingdom of God. He said, there's no present reality that will draw me away from what shall be revealed. My message, he says, yes, the kingdom has come, but my message is this, the fullness lies ahead and we put all our eggs in one basket and we live not for this present human life, but we live for that which is to come. And therefore, we make choices based on that reality. And he says, if this life only we have hope, we're most pitiable because he, he said, look at me. I've lost everything, and, and if, if, if this is all I get, what's in this world, what's the point of me losing the whole world and gaining nothing? But that's exactly the opposite of what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul, you have nothing. 
we pursue the wrong things if we put our hope in this world which is passing away. Now we go to another verse. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. Very important verse. It says, Now this I say, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Think about that for a while. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Let's start with that second part first. This we can understand a little more easily because he's talking about our physical body. Our physical body, I know that some of us give an absolute illusion, illusion that we're getting younger day by day by day. In fact, one of the reasons I invite R.T. Kendall each year is because he gets younger and younger every year. And uh, next to him, about nearly 20 years younger, I feel so young. So, so, so thank you so much. That's so wonderful. But uh, as astonishing as it may seem, even in people like us, change and decay are taking place. In other words, there is a principle of decay which is as the result of sin, which ultimately leads to death. And so this body is, is, is in a way a corrupt body. Now, I don't think he just means this to say, well, this body is sinful. Uh, in fact, this human body, this fallen human body, it finds it very easy to yield to sin and it takes the power of the Holy Spirit for us not to do that. But he's talking about the fact that our bodies have not yet been redeemed. So what he's saying is this, when the kingdom comes, you will not be able to handle it in the body that you have now. When we think about this, some of us can appreciate it when we experience the power of God. I remember when I was going to Brazil and year after year, we were seeing tremendous phenomena, uh, physical phenomena, falling uh, uh, and all kinds of physical effects. And, and there was a group of Methodists, that, that they were Methodists, is irrelevant, shouldn't really mention it actually, because there's some great Bible-believing, spiritual Methodists, but these Methodist ministers came and complained. And they said, this is not of God, all this falling down. So I took out my best theological expression, put it on my face, called them forward, right to the front. I don't know if anybody was here when I did this, but I used to be outrageous in those days. I'm very, very calm now, but in those days. And so I climbed up and stood on the pulpit, balancing, and I said, right now, guys, you are down there. I am going to fall on you. Are you ready? They didn't know what I was talking about. I said, well, are you ready? I'm going to fall on you. No, no, no. I said, why not? Are you scared what's going to happen to you if I fall on you from a height of four feet? Yeah, we don't want it. I say, what would happen? You would knock us over. I said, what happens when God falls on you? He's heavier than I. To me, the miracle is anybody can stand when God shows up. Now, that's a tiny explanation as to what will happen when God's kingdom comes in all its fullness, this body will not be able to cope with the voltage of the kingdom of God. You know, I think sometimes God has to work so hard just to keep you alive when he talks to you, when he shows up. And the fact is, he's living on the inside of you. How can God live on the inside of you and you live? That's his mercy, it's his grace. 
But there is coming a time when God wants to show up in your life in the fullness of the power of the kingdom of God and have no barrier, no hindrance. And there's only one way that can happen. And that's if he gives us a new, resurrected, glorious body that is capable of that kind of encounter with God. That's what he says. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So, my statement here is there is a kingdom coming, and this kingdom is going to change everything, including your body, and including the physical world. The cosmos itself is going to be changed. New heavens and a new earth. The Bible calls it the regeneration of everything. The Bible calls it this restoration of all things. It's an amazing revelation for us to understand that God isn't going to leave this old, physical, tired, broken creation this way. He's going to change it. He's going to transform it. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be amazing. And God's dwelling place will be with men and we will live with Him and enjoy Him forever. It's glorious. However, the question is this. If that is going to happen, this kingdom is going to come, how can we be sure that we have got it right? Have you thought about that? I mean, I can stand up and say to you, you know, the kingdom's coming, and I can say all these words, and, and if you were seriously interacting, you might say, how do you know? Where's your proof? Why don't you shout out to me? Where's your proof, Colin? Thank you. I'm glad you asked the question. I simply point to the resurrection of Jesus. Let me explain it to you this way. Was the body of Jesus that he came into this world, was his body an eternal body? Or had his body always existed? This is for the theologians. Has his body always existed? No. It was created by the Spirit in his mother's womb. So the physical body of Jesus is a creation act of God. And when that body grew up and Jesus died on the cross, his body was capable of death. God cannot die, but God incarnate in the person of Jesus can die. So Jesus was born into a body that was capable of death. The one exception, the difference between him, him and us is this, is that the death that worked in him did not come from his own sin, weakness or failure. It came because he was the substitute sacrifice and Jesus died the sinner's death. Right? But that's not the end of the story because it was that same sinless body of Jesus after the crucifixion that is going to be raised again from the dead and that tiny bit of the created world, the newly created world, is the body of Jesus and we point to that and say that is what is going to happen to all of us when the kingdom comes. Jesus Christ is the first fruits and we are going to follow him. And being made like Jesus includes having a glorious physical body like him. And that is going to trigger not just the resurrection of all God's people 
it's going to trigger a resurrection of everybody. And even those who don't believe in Jesus, you can say, well, that's fine. I don't believe in Jesus. I'll just disappear. No, you will not. Your body will meet your soul again one day. And there'll be a purpose for that in which you must stand before God in His presence to receive His pronouncement over your life. And as R.T. would say, if you don't know Jesus, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything in the world. But today you can be in Jesus' shoes. You can step out of your sin into his righteousness, out of uh, your uh, state of, of not knowing Jesus into a beautiful relationship with him. So this tells us that the universe is going to change and the evidence is Jesus himself. Okay, now we come to that third part, which is 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58. And this is the climactic verse. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In the Lord. So my first statement, there is more to life than meets the eye. Second statement, there's a kingdom which is going to change everything. And the third statement is this, that's why we keep going. Interesting, at the end of a highly sophisticated, powerfully argued, reasoned presentation of the reason for the resurrection, Paul at the end gives his conclusion. There's always a therefore, always a therefore. What's it all about? What's the purpose of this teaching? Why is Paul at great pains to teach about the resurrection? Because it's going to happen whether we think about it or not. And Paul says, I want you to be ready for that, but also I want to give you a principle by which you live your life and how you can continue to hold on to God throughout all circumstances and never let go of Him as He indeed will never let go of you. Therefore, he says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding, never flagging in the work of God, always abounding because you know that your labor in the Lord is never in vain. And the proof is the resurrection of Jesus. What happens if we live all our life and then discover, hey, it's not going to work out as the Bible says? That will never happen because God has raised Jesus Christ as proof that God's word is true, that Jesus is Lord, that he is the son of God, that our sins are forgiven, forgiven and the kingdom is coming. All of that is proved in the resurrection and therefore we can be encouraged by our hope. Now hope in the Bible is hardly ever hope so. Hope so. I don't know so. I hope so. Maybe yes, maybe no, I hope so. No, it's not that. Hope in the Bible is something far more definite. Hope in the Bible is talking about something that is going to come in the future. We haven't got it now. It's going to come in the future, but it is going to happen in the future. And Jesus has given proof of this in that he's, God has given proof of this in that he's raised Jesus from the dead. And because Jesus has been raised from the dead, we know that he's coming again. And when he comes again, we're going to be, all of us, raised from the dead. And also, we know that everything we've done for God throughout the whole of our lives, everything we've done in the Lord, 
Even our labors, if it's unto God, whether small or big, noticed or unnoticed, apparently successful or apparently fruitless, none of that makes any difference at all because there's a day coming when everything will be exposed and everything we've done for Jesus will find its place in some form or another in the future kingdom of God. That's amazing. And this shows us, I want to say it again, I've referred to this last week again, I think it was a profound series you did, RT, on faith, hope and love. You remember the series? Pick it up online if you didn't get it. I referred to it last week. It is such a neat summary of what it means to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. The kingdom is apprehended by faith, not by sight. We, uh, the early disciples saw, remember Thomas touched and saw and believed. And Jesus said, you believe because you've seen. Uh, happy and blessed are those who believe without seeing. And that's what you and I have to do because Jesus is no longer physically on this earth. He's in heaven and we need faith to apprehend him. But that sometimes is difficult. You know, we get on our knees, we pray to a God we cannot see and speak to a God we cannot hear. And yet we do see him and, and we do hear him and, and we do know him. But all of that is by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. The time is coming when we're gonna, when faith is going to be passed, passed away and we will see him as he is. We shall be like him as he is. The end of faith and in between now and that moment we call it hope because it's coming. And hope encourages us. Hope makes us sure that we, we can last to the end, that it's worthwhile doing. It's worthwhile going back and knocking in that door again and say, please, can I pray for you? It's worth building your cell. It is worth showing up, not just for work, but for the work of God at work. It's worth persevering. And when temptation comes that says, come live with me, come walk with me, come and enjoy everything this world has. Don't worry about what the Bible says. That's not going to happen to you. You can say no. No, because the day has already passed when Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and we know that our hope is secure and certain in Him. We are going to inherit the kingdom of God, but not flesh and blood. And so the only thing that remains is love. And here's another way of saying that what we do for the love of Jesus and how we walk with Him and stand with Him, it's worth it. Now, I would suggest to you that on a day like this, for most of us, it's relatively easy to believe. The blood sugar levels have risen with the chocolate. We're feeling quite happy. But, you know, Tuesday's coming and uh, we're going to get back to normality. But it is just possible that there are people today who are struggling and saying, I'm seeing everybody else. What are you so excited about? I just, I like to see Leroy spin around in the mid midair. It's quite sensational. But I'm, do you know what? I don't know what all the fuss is about because inside you're feeling differently. Let me give you this word of encouragement. Persevere, my friends. Be strong. Be immovable. Because whatever you do for him, and in his name, not only will endure, but it shall be rewarded. It will not be in vain. Give Jesus a big praise. God bless you.